Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we start with some WhatsApps that have come into the programme. Some of these actually came in overnight last night, so I'm picking up on those. It's summed up by uh, one listener who says, Hi Patricia, I was out walking uh, tonight, that was Wednesday night, in Cork County. I was out in the countryside, it was about 10 o'clock, so it was dark. Few stars in the sky and the moon was actually behind the clouds. I was watching the sky when suddenly I saw what I can only describe as the back of a circular object flying in the sky about the size of the moon, pulsating, and it was a mix of blue and green light. It then disappeared into the clouds. Never seen anything like it. It definitely wasn't an aeroplane. I was wondering, did anybody else see it or have you any idea what it is? Could you bring it up on the show, please? And I can tell you, you weren't the only person to to spot this very bright object flying through the sky. There was more than 200 reports of what was described by some as a mysterious fireball crossing the night sky. There was a lot of reports in Northern Ireland and in uh, Scotland and the UK Meteor Network are picking up on it because they began receiving reports of this fireball from about nine o'clock last night. But people were spotting it right up to about 11 o'clock last night. And the UK Meteor Network said they're now investigating to ascertain what the object was. And more than likely, it was a meteor or space debris. Uh, but they're getting re- reports in now from all over Northern Ireland, Scotland, reports coming in from Wales and obviously also reports are coming in from Ireland as well. So that's what it was. It was a, some kind of a meteor or a space debris. So, uh, And I've spotted, I saw... Uh, overnight I saw some people sharing some videos of, of them people who managed to have a camera phone and were able to straight away do a video of it and it was quite spectacular to see it and actually that, that one of our listeners there describing it really really well as like this circular flying object flying through the sky and really big I mean it wasn't like a small star like a falling star or anything it, it was really frightened the life out of you if you were out walking as this listener was on her own on a dark uh, autumnal evening in the countryside. So that's what it was. So glad to clear that up uh, for you. 0818 103 103. The 100 or the €1,000 bonus payment for people working in the front line with COVID. I got got first announced when back in January of this year and here we are in the middle of September and we still have people uh, waiting to receive that payment. I've lost count now I think of the number of interviews I've done on it or the number of inquiries that we've made to the HSE trying to find out uh, when people are going to get their payment and people are really annoyed by you know and getting angry with it at this stage. People who know they're entitled to it and they still haven't uh, received it and there's definitely a divide there between the people who have managed to receive their bonus 
and then the people who haven't and in some cases you've got people working side by side with one saying well I got mine I went away on holidays with it in the summer and working with somebody who said well I'm still waiting to get mine open up the papers this morning to read that one hospital has asked a cohort of its staff to pay back the COVID-19 pandemic bonus of €1,000 and telling them, sorry, you weren't actually eligible. You weren't meant to get that €1,000. Now, it's just one hospital. It's Peamount Hospital in Dublin. Several of the workers were given the bonus back in uh, June and they've now been told you have to pay back the money because you weren't entitled to it. Now, somebody from uh, Peamount Hospital have come out and said a clerical error is being blamed for the uh, payout. And by the way, Piedmont Hospital, according to the papers, haven't responded to any queries as to how many staff or what was the total amount of payments that's involved here. The HSE says as soon as the error was identified, staff were immediately contacted. They were then informed that this was deemed an overpayment. So therefore, they will be required to pay the money back. And you can just imagine how annoyed these people will be. They say, this is the HSE saying there's a clerical F, um, uh, error that a number of staff who weren't exposed to the listed additional risks and this is therefore they shouldn't have received the pandemic a special bonus. And while that blunder is uh, going on, the actual figure now is just over 121,400 staff have yet to receive the bonus across the HSE and its funded agencies. And it's mainly those in the funded agencies that haven't received it. People like in the nursing homes, people working in hospice, home care and other areas where workers faced daily risk during the worst of the pre-vaccination days of the uh, pandemic. Now, we do know, and we have mentioned this before a number of weeks ago now, that an outside firm has now been employed. That obviously comes with a cost. But the outside firm has now been employed in a bid to overcome the delays in administering the payment. Not all workers, of course, get €1,000. The payment is graded according to the contracted hours and it was for people who were working with frontline with COVID patients from March of 2020 up to June of last year. Those whose contracted hours were below a particular threshold, they'll be getting €600 Euro, and anybody else working less than four weeks, they were also outside of the uh, entitle- entitlements. Uh, so that the COVID, the pandemic uh, COVID payment still rumbles on. Are we ever going to get to the end of it? And as we've heard so many times, particularly from workers who are entitled to it, the good has been taken out of it. When it got announced back in January of this year, you know, everybody thought this was good. Now, I know at the time there was a bit of grumbling with other people, other groups feeling they were entitled to it as well. But I think nobody, there wasn't one person said that anyone who worked in the coalface in the real front line of it, nobody, I think, was saying that they were not entitled uh, to it. And people thought it was good of the government to come out with it. But it's the way it's been handled since really has taken the good out of what was a good news story and a kind of a a thank you to the staff who worked so hard, particularly in the early days of the pandemic. And of course, earlier this week, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly announced that families of health staff who died after contracting COVID-19 in the workplace, they're now being invited to apply for an ex gracia payment of €100,000. Up to August of this year, 23 
healthcare workers had died after contracting COVID-19 at uh, work. I mean, just for for those people and their families, just shocking to think somebody goes to work to do the very best that they can looking after people. They picked up the dreaded COVID and then, you know, as we, as we always knew with COVID, nobody knew uh, who was going to be affected or how badly people were going to be uh, affected. Now, most of those deaths obviously occurred in the first year of the pandemic when we didn't have a vaccine. So the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly said that this week that following Cabinet approval for the scheme in March, uh, the Department and Pubble have put in place what he says is a straightforward application process. And I really, really do hope that it is a straightforward application process. The scheme got announced in March. We've had to wait until September for them to finally, you know, say okay, it's now been approved. Please please make sure that that is straightforward and that families will not have to go through any hoops. They've lost a loved one. It's I, I imagine it's been very clear who the 23 healthcare workers are. Do they even need to apply? Could they? Could those families not be contacted and told this is what we're doing for you? Here's an ex payment of a hundred thousand in recognition of your loved one dying while at work because of uh, COVID. Uh, but they've made what a lot of people would say such a mess of the pandemic bonus payment. You just hope that they really get will get this one right. 0818103103 text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and just one piece that uh, when I came off air yesterday I was chatting with uh, John Paul and obviously John Paul has taken the calls uh, throughout the programme and you know we interact as much as we can during the programme but obviously when, when I'm on air and John Paul is busy we don't get a lot of chat uh, during the course of the, the programme so it's when we come off air you know we'll be getting ready for the next day and you know chatting about what had happened on on the program each day uh, he he shared with me something that happened yesterday and he's, it it really just sums up the reality of the energy crisis and people worried about their electricity bills coming in and we know as we head into the winter months because you know for the last year every couple of months we've been announcing that the different electricity suppliers are putting up their charges again and you know we're constantly hearing from the government that you know they're going to be doing something to help they're going to be giving energy credits etc and constantly hearing from the Green Party in particular how we all need to conserve energy it's one way of bringing down our bills but people are worried about the electricity bills let's be honest there's nobody sitting there going you know when the electricity bill arrives either in the post or you open an email there's nobody kind of secretly keeping their fingers crossed hoping that it's not going to be too expensive and we've heard you know crazy bills come in for some businesses not just even a doubling of their of their bills a tripling of their bills and only yesterday I spoke about that supermarket up in Roscommon 6,600 was their monthly bill back in January and it's gone up to 21,000 so you know there's been lots of stories like that about bills going up but this this to me just sums up the reality of what it's like for some people worried about their bills. There was an elderly lady contacted the programme yesterday and she's living on her own. And she asked John Paul, she was wondering, should she plug out the device that operates her panic alarm? Because she's afraid that this device, which is plugged in all day and all night, it has to be plugged in 24-7. Uh, it's a, some kind of a box or something. And she's afraid because it's plugged in and connected to her phone line, would it be using up too much electricity? And she was afraid that would it be running up her bill? Now, obviously, John Paul allayed her fears and told her no, that that would be using a tiny amount of electricity. And it is so important that her panic alarm remains plugged in. But it just really 
it really got to me when I was talking to John Paul about it and it just it is the reality of how worried some older people are and you would be fearful that they won't be putting their heating on you know for fear of this bill coming in or they'll run out of oil or what are they going to do and it's just going to be a very very difficult uh, winter for so many people so I mention it because if you have a loved one particularly an elderly person who's living on their own chat to them chat to them about how important it is that you know that there are you know it's tumble dryers are the things that use up a huge amount of electricity leaving the immersion on we wouldn't dare leave the immersion on but just trying to explain to somebody like that that those smaller objects like that are using a tiny tiny amount of electricity and it is so important that anyone that has one of those panic alarms that has to remain plugged in 24-7 that they do keep it plugged in uh, to keep that lady safe. This day last week I was reminding you that the Kinsale RNLI that we'd featured on the programme last week were going to be appearing on the Saving Lives at Sea it's a BBC2 uh, programme that features the work of the RNLI uh, across the uh, England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales and one of the rescues that the Kinsale are allowed to take part in was going to be in the programme last Thursday night but of course then as Thursday unfolded uh, Queen Elizabeth died and all of the BBC programmes uh, reverted to a rolling news feed so the Saving Lives at Sea programme didn't go out last Thursday. I've just had an email in from Johnny and the team at the Kinsale station to say that they believe the Kinsale are in a lie is going to be on this evening at 8 o'clock on BBC Two at uh, Saving Lives at Sea. So just to, to remind people of that because we're looking forward to seeing uh, the guys from the Kinsale are in a lie with their particular rescue that will feature tonight Saving Lives at Sea at 8 o'clock and thank you to Johnny uh, for getting that into us. Now we in a little while we're going to be talking about how many young people are thinking of leaving our shores and it's just so sad the brightest and the best many of these will be college educated and they feel that they've no future in this country and 70% of them who were surveyed for the National Youth Council say yeah they are really considering emigrating Michael reacting on that says morning Patricia the youth of the country are leaving because of the cost of accommodation in the cities around Ireland not that it's going to be a lot cheaper abroad Governments give tax breaks, said Michael, to a certain criteria of landlords, builders, etc. When I firmly believe if more resources were put into bus and rail services instead of what I've just mentioned, it would be far more beneficial to students and to workers alike. Let me give you some examples. If there was, say, a €40 Euro weekly return fare from Cork, Waterford, Limerick, Galway and Sligo by rail with rapid half-hourly trains, a €20 Euro fare from, say, Portleash and so on, this would take massive pressure off city accommodation and costs uh, of individuals and help build rural Ireland to what it should be. Likewise, more plentiful regular bus services in rural areas, both mornings and evenings, are instructed badly badly needs to be radically overhauled not just limping along this is there is only a certain amount that the cities can tolerate thanking you uh, yeah and and michael thank you for that yeah and if you look to even our nearest neighbours, if you look to uh, England, the amount of people that work in London but don't live in London, but they've got a fantastic rail and bus and road infrastructure to get people in and out of the city. So people live outside and they commute. No, some of them can commute long uh, distances, but the infrastructure is there to allow them to uh, commute. And that's what we need to do. Instead of everybody moving into the cities, we need to look at people who can live outside of the city. But the only way they can do that is, as Michael says, you need to have reliable 
train services, bus services to get people in and out. So yeah, Michael, you're certainly making a lot of sense this morning. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. And Mary was on saying, Patricia, if you got the fuel allowance on a previous year, do you have to reapply or do you get it automatically? As far as I know, once your circumstances are exactly the same, you get it automatically. If anybody can confirm that, people who normally get the fuel allowance, it's just, isn't it just paid out automatically the following year? Unless obviously your circumstances have changed and you're not entitled uh, to it. John Paul's taking your call, 0818103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now anyone who knows me well will know that I am a big, big animal lover, especially when it comes to cats. So I was really saddened and angry to hear from a lady in Ballynoe whose beautiful family cat was killed and then found hanging in local woods. Fanula O'Callaghan of Glen Trasna South in Ballynoe joins me to outline what happened to her beautiful cat, Abella. Good morning to you, Fanula. Good morning, Patricia. And firstly, sympathies, because I know the pain of losing a much-loved uh, cat in particular. I, it's just, it's, it's devastating. It's devastating. Take us back. It was Monday, the 29th of August, so a little over two yes. weeks ago. What happened? Yeah, that's right, Patricia. Yeah, beautiful evening. We were just sitting outside, um, my husband and I, Dave, having a, a barbecue, getting ready to round up the cats. To, I have three beautiful Persian chinchilla cats. They're just gorgeous animals and um, they're indoor pets but during the fine weather we let them out you know around the garden we live in a you know out in the countryside we're on a very quiet road so um, anyway when it came time to round them up um, which would normally be around half past six I noticed Bella was missing and I called her and I called her and there was no sign of her which would be very unusual anyways the night there was still no sign of her and uh, the following morning, you know, to my horror, she still hadn't uh, um, returned. So I just posted um, a notice on the local Castle Lines community Facebook page just to see if anyone may have come across her. Now, it would have been very unusual for her to wander far to say these cats are they're indoor cats. They're, they're cats by nature anyway. They're very territorial, so she wouldn't wander far. And... Uh, yeah, so the following evening, which would have been Tuesday, I got the awful telephone call to say that her little body had been discovered, um, you know, a good bit away from home, and it was displayed, tied by a hind leg with trapping wire to the barrier to the entrance of the local woods, which would be between Glentrasna South and Baranafona. So uh, I, I was just absolutely repulsed when I, I came in the scene and, and saw her like that. It was a real display. It was just a really barbaric, menacing, grotesque, sinister display. Now, we're still waiting on toxicology reports and you know, final confirmation of, of the autopsy. However, you know, it's clear to me she wouldn't have, you know, died a, a pleasant death. I would imagine it was violent. And um, and it then, was okay. How far away from your home? Yeah, I, I, are we talking a couple Trisha. of? Are we talking mile, miles? We, we, we'd be talking about two miles. Two miles as the, crow, as, as the crow flies, or it would have been about six miles then by road from from our home 
to get to the where this particular entrance was. It's um, you know, it's from Ardglass Cross up to Clonmulton. And she was deliberately tied up to the post. Yeah, yeah. You know, when she didn't come back, you know, we live in a very quiet road, but I I have lost, you know, cat in the past to she she got run over. Yeah. Um, and and the person who did it immediately came in, and you know they were so distraught and so upset, and you know that's obviously very distressing. But you know I was so grateful that we knew how it had happened and it was quick. Now, I don't know how this cat came to be caught and home in this particular manner, in this, as I say, in this very barbaric way. Um, it, you know, it, it just defies logic. And it, it just got me thinking, Patricia, you know, anyone who would put the thought, you know, if there was somebody that, that randomly rang, ran the cat down, as, as some people had suggested, they're not going to drive six miles, tie the animal by the hind leg, to the railing of, of, of a woods in the most despicable and humiliating and degrading and repulsive manner. So I can only imagine that this was a deliberate act, Patricia. This wasn't some random killing on the road. And, it, you know, it just got me thinking, you know, I, like I've lived in, 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 you know, housing estates in Dublin and inner city London and cities in Australia, and I've always had cats. I've never, ever had something like this, this grotesque, barbaric act carried out before. And even if it was a, an alley cat, but this was, you know, it would be grotesque, but this was a, a valuable, beautiful... Much-loved um, pet. Much-loved. Yeah, much loved. I mean, because even, even, you know, even if, you know, a cat or a dog gets uh, knocked down and you'll see it on the side of the road oh. and so, and somebody yeah. drives off, that always, oh, God, could you just not stop? Make sure, yeah. firstly, that the, the animal isn't it's in any dead. pain and then try yeah. to find out who owns who owns yeah. the animal. It always annoys me when I see people or hear of somebody, you know, they, they discover their cat and nobody stopped. That, are, that always yeah. frustrates me. But this was very, as you say, deliberate the way... It felt very targeted. It yeah. felt like there was a bit of... As I said, I still don't know how she died. That, that's not conclusive yet. But I do know that it was... It would have been a violent death. And it just got me thinking, you know, the thinking, the sick, twisted thinking behind somebody or some bodies who would have perpetrated this hideous and vile crime. It's just beyond contemplation you know and and like they they talk about animal cruelty being closely linked to you know violence in humans and you know i i just dread to think what what's going on in this person I, or these people i minds. always i always remember that case i remember that little boy jamie bulger the little boy yeah. in liverpool uh, when right. the two guys the two children got um found guilty of his murder when they started analysing the boys one of the yeah. boys his hobby had been cutting the head off live pigeons there's a, one of his neighbours oh, had a God. pigeon coop and yeah. I remember thinking if he could do that so easily to a defenceless bird of course yeah. the you know the collation is you can do it easily to to a human that's why Absolutely. I always think for children to instill in children a love of animals because if you can't hurt yeah. You know, an innocent animal, you know, the, the chances are you're not going to go on to hurt a human being, you, you would like to think. I mean, I have no understanding. I can no. never get inside the head of anyone who can be cruel to any innocent animal. I, I, no. I really can't. But I suppose, um, Finola, it's important that we talk about it to warn yeah. other other people. Be vigilant of your pets. 
That's right, Patricia, because, I mean, anyone who could uh, carry out such a, a crime and then display the body in that really awful manner, it, it, it's, it's sick and twisted, and it shows a complete lack of empathy and, uh, you know, uh, unfeelingness. And as I say, God only knows what, what else this person is capable of, because I doubt that the first time, nor will it be the last. So I really would urge any pet owners in the vicinity you know, and cats are, I don't know how this cat, ended. my darling Bella ended up like this, but you know, cats are, are, they're difficult enough to catch, as you will know, but anyone who's got a friendly pet cat or, or even a dog or any pet in the area, just, just be vigilant because, say, this sick and twisted creep and vile, he or she, I don't know who the perpetrator might be or what's going on in their minds, but... It, they, they will they will strike again. So just please be extra vigilant what, of what your have, pets. What have the Gardaí said? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're carrying out a, a, an investigation okay. currently. So, yeah, say details haven't come down. So if anyone... Yet, so it's Monday the 29th to Tuesday yeah, Monday, the 30th. Yeah, Monday the 29th of, uh, of August. August. And what was um, also different about that day uh, was the, the road... We live just off the castle lines to Dungorny Road. And just at um, before Cuddy Foley's, which is a landmark, there were diversions. So a lot of people might have taken the Ardglass Crossroad down towards Clonmult. Um, so there would have been a bit of extra traffic along that generally quiet road. And at the bottom of that road would have been the entrance to the forestry where Bella's body was hung. Um, you know, and it was... it. it so it took a bit of thought because it was, as I said, it was with trapping wire and the, the knot was tied quite intricately. So it would have taken a bit of thought and time if anyone saw anything suspicious or any vehicles in the area. That, please um, report it. Please, please, please report, report it. And please look after your pets. Because All right. All right. Listen, yeah. I, and I appreciate you uh, sharing the story with us, Fanula, because it, is, it isn't easy to talk about uh, either. And my heart really does go out to you. You have two others. Thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah, land, yeah, I do, and they're they're a bit of a loss at the moment. Are they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what are the others two called? Uh, Lana and Lexi. Lana and Lexi. Yeah. All right. Listen, look after Lana and Lexi and look after we'll yourself do, as well, Fanula. Thanks Fanula. so much. Thanks I a million. Bye bye. Bye bye. Care. That's bye-bye. just so heartbreaking, isn't it? That is uh, Fanula O'Callaghan from Glentrasna South in Ballino. If anybody saw anything, please, the Gardaí in Fomoy. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Earlier this week, the National Youth Council released details of research conducted by Red Sea on their behalf that worryingly showed 70% of 18 to 24 year olds are considering moving abroad because they believe they will have a better quality of life outside of this country. Paul Gordon is the Director of Policy and Advocacy at the National Youth Council and Paul joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, you're, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. These 18 to 24-year-olds are our best and our brightest and our well-educated uh, young people. I mean, are they literally saying that they just don't see a future here? Um, in, in some senses, I think they are saying that many are, are saying that they're very fearful about the future. So in the survey that we did, 8 and 10, said as it relates to their finances, they were fearful for the future. And as you mentioned, 
7 in 10 are, are considering leaving the country to get that better quality of life, which is very, very concerning. You know, we did a similar poll about 10 years ago when the country was still in recession. And at the time, fewer people uh, were said they were considering emigration. That was one in two. So that makes those findings really worrying for us. We know there's a, there's a long history of emigration in Ireland, but traditionally it happens at times when there's economic hardship, where there are few jobs available. And at the moment, we actually have all-time all lows in youth unemployment. So it points to other reasons why this might be, including pressures from the cost of living, um, high housing costs, and perhaps little available accommodation. And while we know that emigration can be a good thing for some young people, it can be a, an enriching experience, you can learn about new cultures, it's great when that's a choice people can make. But what we're hearing is, is that young people feel they may be forced to emigrate, um, and that's something that that is very, very concerning. Yeah, I think that's the one that really worries me. I mean, we all know people, you know, young people will travel and, you know, and it's a fantastic experience uh, for them. And it's a choice that, they, you know, they want to go off and experience maybe Australia for a couple of years or uh, wherever they decide to go to. But it's when they feel they're forced to go. That's where the real concerns uh, come in. And it's it's not been able to afford housing. How many of those young people will still be living at home because they won't not, not alone be able to buy a house? They won't even be able to rent a property. Yes, that's it. And ultimately, I think many people feel that they, they obviously won't uh, be able to, to, to buy a house in the future. And obviously, um, all the signs, the, the economic indicators suggest that, that home ownership will become more and more difficult over time. And this is a generation that that actually uh, will likely be earning less than than people that went before them. So we've gotten accustomed uh, to nearly every generation uh, having uh, having higher wages than the previous one. Uh, unfortunately, some research by the ESRI last year showed that by by the time people born in the 90s reach the age of 26, they'll actually be earning less than those born in the 70s and 80s. And that's something that, that is very concerning um, in, in, in the broader kind of economic picture. But what we're also hearing through, through our survey was the cost of living is really hitting young people hard quite now and they're experiencing it in a slightly different way to the rest of the population. So they they spend a higher portion of their income on, on things like public transport, on, on things like education fees um, and housing does factor, uh, does factor heavily in there as well. Um, so that is something that uh, we really want to see addressed by government to demonstrate to young people that, uh, that there is a future here, that they will be supported through uh, what we all know will be a difficult, um, a difficult few months. Um, but to, to show that, that, that there is a future here and that government is looking out for young people. Are some worried about their mental health, Paul? They are. So what we found was that in the past six months when people were asked about the cost of living, um, uh, one in two young people aged 18 to 24 said their mental health had gotten worse, which was significantly higher than the rest of the population. They're also feeling less happy than they were six months ago. And as I mentioned, eight and ten are, are feeling fearful for the future. So it, it, it paints, a, a, I suppose, a worrying picture. Um, and we have to remember as well that the pandemic had a significant effect on young people who, who felt job losses most heavily at the time, that their education was impacted, um, their, their their social lives were effectively upended and, and there were dramatic increases in depression at that time as well for, among young people. So experiencing this kind of cost of living crisis for the first time in their lives, shortly followed by a pandemic, is really bound to have affected young people's mental health. Um, and I suppose the message we want to convey is that they can't be overlooked often in the discussion about solutions to the cost of living the very specific concerns and needs of young people uh, can be ignored um, and, and we, we, we really feel that um, to ensure that young people do see a future here, um, that, that 
that action is taken to support them. Okay, what what are you calling on the government to do in in the budget in two weeks' time? Yes, yeah, so as I said, um, as young people are experiencing the cost of living crisis in a different way, we need to take uh, a tailored approach um, to 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 support that financial pressure they're feeling and and stop the harshest impacts of, of the cost of living. So, for example, those in education, we're calling that they get a reduction in in college registration fees, and for people on apprenticeships, they also get a reduction. Um, those under twenty in work, um, we'd like to see the minimum wage uh, for them raise the same level as those aged twenty and over currently. They're on rates as low as seven thirty five and even with the news yesterday that the minimum wage is set to be increased um it doesn't appear as though government is going to consider a raise for the under twenties and that is something that is concerning um we also uh, see young people who are who are seeking jobs um they're on a job seekers allowance rate of ninety euro less than under twenty five which is a significant um significantly lower amount uh, than their friends and colleagues aged twenty five and over um we'd also like to see investment. In public transport last year, we saw the introduction of a young adult travel card, which was really a positive move um, and supported young people aged 19 to 23. We're asking that that's extended to more young people. And we'd also like to see investment in youth work organisations of 12 million in this year's budget. We know uh, we're a member-based organisation and we have many voluntary youth work organisations around the country who are are really doing fantastic work in delivering programmes and and I suppose that non-formal education to young people. And they're also struggling to deliver their services and what we're hearing from youth workers is that especially in the most deprived communities in Ireland they are actually seeing um, the cost of living having that impact on young people so so there is that need for investment um, and that's what we're calling for the government to take on in, in this year's budget and it really is I suppose from our perspective a modest ask we're asking that one euro in every 39 is spent on, on, on young people aged 18 to 24 in this budget So there's a lot that they can do if the government are there serious is, there, about this there is a lot that can be done there is a lot, and some of these will be short-term solutions to, to support young people through the next period. We have heard a lot from government about supporting people through um, the next six to nine months, and that's something that we want to see extended to young people because obviously there were measures put in place earlier this year uh, to support people through the cost of living. There was an investment of £550 million from government, um, and some of those measures did support young people, particularly additional investment in, in public transport. But more broadly, I don't feel that that young people's voices were heard at that time and that's something that we really want to to see breaking through um, and see government take notice of because what we actually saw in our survey as well was that the general public was was very supportive of the measures uh, that we had proposed to support young people in dealing with cost of living crisis. Okay, and actually I can see a lot of our our listeners talking about their own sons and daughters who they feel have just been forced to leave these uh, shores because it's heartbreaking uh, for families. And and, and society, Paul, as a whole will lose out if we lose, if too many of our young people flee flee our shores. We all lose out. We do, we do. Uh, I suppose it's it's society and the fact that we have, if we do see large numbers leave, um, that Will it will impact, I suppose, on the level of vibrancy in society? Yeah. It will mean there's there's uh, there's less innovation, there's less new ideas, um, and would also have uh, an, an economic impact if we do see uh, if we do see large numbers leave. At the moment, we're seeing skills shortages in a number of areas, and those will only be uh, exacerbated if 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 young people do decide to leave. So we really want to see. 
kind of supports for them to stay here because we 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 know um that there are significant economic challenges for for young people that that need to be addressed over a longer period of time but they can be supported through the short term and i think that's that's what's really important message yeah here. and we need to end the brain drain where you know yet again are we going to be educating another generation that another country gets the benefit of that wonderful education okay listen paul we leave it there thank you for that and thanks, thanks for joining us on the program this morning paul gordon director of policy and advocacy at the national youth council with that worrying figure that 70 percent of young people considering moving abroad because they believe they'll have a better quality of life than remaining here in ireland you're listening to cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed I have to say, a huge reaction to my interview with uh, Paul Gordon from the National Youth Council of Ireland about the survey that they conducted where seven in ten young people aged between 18 and 24 are seriously considering moving abroad because they think they would enjoy a better quality of life elsewhere. And that just is so sad and so bad for society as a whole if we lose all of our bright young uh, people. Some of your thoughts coming in on this. Jim says we educate our young people with money from our taxes going into universities. Okay, We've always had nurses and doctors uh, who might leave to gain some experience but we've got many others that don't have to leave but do. Do we need to question the way our universities are paid for through taxpayers' money if if we are educating our young people just to leave our shores for the benefit of other countries. Eddie said so many housing developments are rejected. Uh, you can have people living 50 miles away and they'll put in an objection to a housing plan. Uh, I wonder if they didn't object and we'd a lot more houses built. Uh, would many of our young people then we wouldn't have a housing crisis and many of our young people may be able to stay on. Hi Patricia, I have three children working in London and Liverpool. My daughter worked in a hospital in Dublin but her contract was on a rolling renewal basis month on month. She said that simply wasn't good enough. She ended up getting a job in Guy's Hospital in London and obviously put on a full-time contract. She's happy out. Another one is teaching in Liverpool. Is over there six years and my son who is living in London has just recently bought a house. He's been there for the last seven years. Unfortunately, we have been seeing a drain of our young uh, people. Dan has contacted uh, us from Mallow. Good morning, Dan. Uh, you're you're in the situation where you have two children who are recently finished college and you're fearful that they're going to leave yeah they finished there over the last two or three years um, but they've been at home since they finished college so um, they're, they're at an age like where they should be leaving now really not, you know and I should be but they, it's kind of natural to get their own start their own lives but it doesn't seem to be possible here. Um, even though they've they've good jobs, average enough, you know, decent wages and all that, but it's not enough, you know. Um, yeah, even on a decent like, wage, it's hard, let alone to save to buy a house. But it's hard to even afford rent. Hard for rent, yeah, as well, because there isn't much out there, you know, to rent. And what is there is is the equivalent of a mortgage. But you see, you know, they have <clears throat> they have the means to pay, whether it's a, whether it's rent or a mortgage, but they don't have anything as such to, to rent or to get. You know, there isn't there isn't a choice there. It it started like a bidding war for a you know to rent a place, or if you know someone, they might rent it out to you just because they know you are. It, it's 
it's too messy, like, you know. I know it's not I as know. simple as just off you go, look, I'll pick a house there or an apartment or something, you know, or you might say, look, they might want something for, um, you know, I don't know, 500 a month, you know, to allow them enough to save then for a deposit. You know, but it's, it's, it, that's, that's impossible. The way, the way all of us did it, the way all of the previous yeah. generations did it, you were yeah. renting and saving at yeah. the same time and then you got your deposit together and you scrimped and you scraped for the first few years, but you did yeah. it. But there it is, is and, yeah. and, and when you, you ta- yeah, when you talk with your children, Dan, are, are they verbalising that, that they're fearful they may never own their own homes? Oh, well, they are, yeah. I mean, and, and I meet their friends as well of the same age, you know, and Everyone's looking at me and going, like, well, what do we do now? Because, like, if you, well, you know, because for me, like, as a, you know, a parent that helped them through college and worked to to support them and all that, and, you know, you try and give them a good old start, like, you know, but no, I mean, it just seems to never end. So, first it was, have a good leaving cert, when I was young, like, now it's, it was, get a degree, and you were made, really, if you got a degree, you were flying. Now it's a bloody master. Do you know what I mean? So it's just milking the parents of this generation at every opportunity. And then it's like you get off the train at the end of the line and you go, there's nothing here. You just dropped us off nowhere. You know, it's... After all this investment all in, their, this, in their education. Yeah. So you get back and you go, right, well, you know, after all the pressure's going to build. People are going to get sick of it and they're just going to go look I'm out of here and that's what they're saying now you know I'm fed up I'm going into auctioneers there where maybe even a house is advertised will say as we'll just say 160 or 180 which is just a lure to get them in and next thing you find out you know oh there's a bid on that at 190 they're constantly getting slapped back like slapped you know then there's no one I don't think there's anyone being straight with them or even straight with the parents. You know, the deal is like it's supposed to be. You work hard, support your family, do the best you can. And at the end of it, you know, your your young, your kids, when they grow up, they'll have a bit of a life. Yeah. They can start. But that's not the way the deal, that's not the way it's working at all. Like, would, I mean, you, would you hate to see them emigrate, Dan? Of course I would, yeah. 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 And don't tell me, I don't care what anyone parents, any parents would say. Like, I mean, I, no one wants to see their kids getting on a plane not knowing if they're ever going to come back again. Like, you know, and like, there is a bit of like travel and all that experience. Like, that, that, that's a different thing altogether. You know, that's for some people and it's, for, it's not for others. You know? Like yeah, I mentioned that when I was speaking with the National Youth Council, you know, I mean, travel is great and, and lots of people have done that over the years where they went away for a year or two and then they came back. And But yeah. they went away knowing that they were always going to come back. But it's young people with this sense of that they don't have a future here. I mean, even that text in from that mother with her three uh, children who are in their mid to late 20s. Uh, all of them. Now, I know they're only across the water in, in England, but, you know, her son who has now bought a house in London. So that's now going to be his home, let's be honest. Yeah, if, they're you know, they're that. setting down roots. I know, I know. But look, yeah. look, it's all, you know, you know, they, they, they try and make this travel experience and all. It's, it's rubbish. Because if you travel somewhere, you still have to work. You still have to get up at half seven in the morning, turn up for work, stay there until five or six or whatever. 
You're not going to be making big money. Like, you know, you still have to live. Like, you know, so, I mean, it's it's not a holiday. You're just going somewhere else so that you can survive there rather than survive here. You know what I mean? That, uh, the travel thing it just sounds so cool and you just picture the, the Instagram photographs and all that, like, you know? The reality, yeah. the, reality the reality is very is, like, different. Yeah, you're going to have a boss that's going to say, get in here at yeah. 7 in the morning and you're going to be going home at 6 tired and you're going to go to bed and you're going to get up and you do it 5 days a week or 6 days a week. And like the whole travel dreamy thing like, won't be long wearing off. And you know something, during the pandemic when people weren't allowed to travel, I never, I think, heard or saw on either online or on TV programmes or even some of them spoke to us here in the programme, so many emigrants saying how much they missed home when they knew they couldn't get on a plane or a boat to get home. That pull to go home and be at home was huge. It was, And, and it never leaves some people. It never, it never leaves them. Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. And yeah. like, you'll see Christmas, the towns fill up. Yeah. Cities fill up. Everyone wants to come home for Christmas. If the place is so great that you've just gone to, why aren't you staying there for Christmas? You know, like, it's the reality. Like, if people want to come home, they take their holidays, they'll come home. I mean, the whole thing is back to front. You should be staying here. To go yeah, there yeah, on holidays, and yeah. And go over there on the bloody yeah, holiday. Yeah, and yeah. there and, and listen, l- the, the scenes at the airport of in the lead up to Christmas, it's the most wonderful place to be to see people getting off planes, coming home for Christmas and the reunions are magical. But go back to that same airport in January when mothers and fathers are putting sons and daughters back on planes and it is the saddest place in the world to be. I worked in the airport there for a good few years with the airport police. So I was there throughout those times. Yeah. Standing at the departures or standing at the arrivals. And it would break your heart to see what goes on. You know, the droves of parents going out the door in tears, you know, because the the, the kids are gone again. And it, you know, and the more they do that, that it sort of like it it, it cements itself like it, it's gonna be they mightn't come back next Christmas now because of something else. You know, and then it'll be two years, and sure, that's it. Then. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Well, I think you're summing up what a lot of, of dads, how a lot of dads and, and mums uh, feel, and sons and daughters who really don't want to go. Um, but listen, thank you for that, Dan, and thanks for joining us on the program. We really appreciate it. Good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, 0818 Heidi says, Morning Patricia, it's so sad to hear that our young ones want to or believe they're in a position that they have to leave this country. The young ones are always asked to pay more for many things and their wages aren't high. We really think the government should have to see how the, the, we really feel that the government have to see how the young are affected. The cost of living here is one of the highest in the EU and the taxes here are not good. Even in the paper this week, an article saying it has been said that they are going to look at what parents can leave to their children. That was the inheritance tax that we dealt with earlier. Uh, this government is tax, tax and more tax. And who is telling them to do this? It's the Commission on Taxation which is appointed to look at our taxes by the government. I'm tired of of saying this but you can't keep letting the government get away with these things we have to let them know how we are feeling we really can't afford to lose our young uh, people thank you for that that is text to 0862 103 103 okay um, Mara says uh, Dan great caller there um, he is rightly critical 
there who is rightly critical of education. We put all this education into our young people and, and we're doing it. We're doing it uh, for uh, what? OK, just on some other issues coming in, there was a couple. Uh, oh, before I get to that, there's just one other one. Um, well, this is about, the, I suppose this ties in with the housing crisis. Lehman Brough says, uh, why do we have a centralised system in this country with so many of our big com- companies based in Dublin or in the other larger cities? We will have a situation of people having no choice but to leave. If the concentration is all in the big cities, then the demand outweighs supply, leading to the situation we find ourselves in, i.e. a housing crisis. Look to, one, look to other countries. Big companies are based in numerous different cities but we seem to be hell-bent on this country on pumping everything into and around Dublin. Where is it getting us? It is forcing our young people onto planes to leave because they can't afford houses. Thank you for that, uh, Liam Imbroff. And then some people reacting to Fanula, who joined us earlier talking about her cat and still trying to find out how her cat died, but it looked like it died in horrific deaths. Joe was on to say farm animals in the area where he lives. He says a number of his cattle have been, what he says, interfered with, hunted out of fields, and he's even had some of his cattle poisoned. So he reckons there are people going around and they do appear to be deliberately harming animals. And Anne says, Patricia, my heart goes out to Finola, listening to her on the programme this morning about her beautiful cat. Whoever did that is really dangerously sick. And there's, it's a danger to have a person like that roaming around free. That's from Anne in Ballantemple. A WhatsApping 0862103103. C103 Jobs. Community employment schemes currently recruiting in Clonakilty, Ballinascarthy, Kilbritton, Timaleague, Ahiole, and Court McSherry. Various positions available, including maintenance, playground support, and retail. You can email Sinead.Burton at WCCEPCE I or you get further details on our website c103.ie Carpenters are required for two sites in the city centre own tools and references required CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com Ward personnel are looking for construction workers with machine tickets please for diggers cranes and dumpers and lorries 021 2339120 and a relief room leader slash relief aim assistant required for kids corner preschool that's in Wing. Email lynda.brown79 at gmail.com for further details. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Now, thousands of householders face being placed on the most expensive tariffs for electricity and gas as more suppliers flee the Irish market, with speculation that Panda Power will exit the residential supply market. Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie joins me with advice for consumers. Good morning to you, Dara. Good morning, Patricia. And and can I say how extremely busy you are and have been uh, over the last number of weeks and months, and my fear is you're going to be even busier going (laughs) forward. Anyway, now it hasn't been confirmed yet when or if uh, Panda Power will leave the Irish market but can you just outline what happens to consumers if their provider does decide to quit Ireland? 
I will indeed. Well, actually, Patricia, literally just 20 minutes ago, is officially confirmed by Panda Bauer that they're exiting the market. So, okay. um, unfortunately, we can confirm now that they're going to be the fourth supplier to exit in the space of around 12 uh, months, which kind of just shows you the carnage in the energy market right now. But what customers need to do, first of all, nobody needs to panic. Nobody needs to duty worry. Suppliers have left the market before. This is something which just happens from time to time, although it is happening now a lot more regularly. But people will be moved over to a new supplier automatically, in this case, on the 30th of September. So electricity customers, around 50,000 of them, get sent to Electric Ireland as their supplier of last resort. And around 10,000 gas customers, the Panda Power in this case, will get sent over to Ford Gosh Energy as, again, the supplier of last resort. So Panda Power customers don't need to do anything if they don't want to. However... If people want to switch to a supplier of their own choosing, they have until the 28th of September to do that. So you don't have a lot of time? Not really. And these things tend to happen relatively quickly. Now, I don't know how long Panda Power was in discussions with CUU, the energy regulator, about leaving. But I'd imagine it had been a few days or a few weeks at least. But when the news breaks, it tends to be quite quick that they shut up shop. So you're right, it isn't necessarily a huge amount of time. But as I've said in your show many times, switching supplier is pretty quick and easy. It is one of the easiest bills that you can switch. So people do have, you know, a little bit of time to get their house in order and move to a new supplier if they want to. But if they don't, on the 30th of September, they will automatically move over to either Electric Ireland or Gosh Energy. And no one's supply is going to be disrupted. No one's supply is going to be impacted. Unfortunately, this has happened before. It happens. It's happening increasingly often. And no one gets cut off. But it's the bills people are, are worried about. Would you be advocating that people do select no it might be energy uh, it might be electric ireland it might be board gosh yeah. who will give them the best rate but yeah. but you're better off seeing what's on the market I, I would because if you move over to electric ireland or board gosh automatically under the supplier of last resort you'll move on to their standard rate now it gets a bit complicated patricia because technically once you've moved over automatically in early October, you could try and negotiate a deal or a better deal with Electric Ireland and Port Gosh. But there's often a lock-in period where you can't do anything. So, for example, when Iberdrola left only a few weeks ago, the same process kicked in. And people were stuck on standard rates for three months with Port Gosh and Electric Ireland. And that meant that they couldn't move. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. They were paying maybe more than they otherwise would have. Now, I don't know if the same three-month period is going to apply here. But my advice to people would be just switch to a supplier of your own choosing beforehand and get a good deal. Because if you wait until the 30th, you're going to be put on the top rate or the standard rate with either board gauge for your gas or electric garlic for your electricity. And you may or may not be able to negotiate or move for two or three months. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's today's the 15th, you have until the 28th, so you do have time. Because as you say, and as we say every time we have you on the programme, it is a relatively easy thing to do. It doesn't even take up uh, that much time. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, get, and particularly for people who've never switched before, think it nervous about it, frightened about it, honest to God. Once you've done it once, you'll realise, why haven't I done this before? Absolutely. I mean, just get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, sit down in the evening, go online, and it's very, very easy to do. Um, probably a lot of customers with Panda Power would have switched themselves, hopefully over the previous years, so they'll be familiar with the process. But if they haven't, you know, it's very easy to do on Bonkers.ie, and even any listeners now who aren't with Panda Power, if they haven't switched, you know, look at doing it, because unfortunately, gas and electricity prices, as we, as we well know, are at absolutely record levels and we, we, we haven't really felt it yet because, you know, we had a nice warm summer, at least we did in Dublin, but now that we've hit September, we're going into October, I think when people start getting their bills in November and December and January, they're going to be in for a really big shock. Yeah, we had even nicer weather down here in Cork, Darry. You should have been down with us. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, so um, get get working on that. Okay, how many have quit the mar- How many have quit Ireland now so far? Four this year, yeah. yeah. So this, this is one of the bigger ones. So there was um, Iberdrola, which were a big, big worldwide business. Now they didn't have a lot of business in Ireland, but when they're leaving a company as big as that, it's quite telling. Bright Energy, and then Glow Power also left. Um, they said that they are keeping their license, in which case they may at some stage in the future start offering business again. But for all intents and purposes, they left as well. They sold their customers to other providers and they ask people to leave. So for all intents and purposes, this is the fourth supplier. Another supplier left in 2019, Just Energy, that was bought by another supplier. And so the process, you know, the issues around the exit were a little bit different. But this is now really the fourth supplier this year that's leaving because of the carnage in the market, because of the absolutely insane price of gas. I need electricity. Is this dispelling the myths that all energy companies are making astronomical profits? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And this is what I'm always at pains to, to point out. Now, I do think the debate around it, Patricia, is thankfully getting a bit more nuanced because not so long ago, everyone was screaming for energy suppliers to be hit with a windfall tax. I think people now maybe have begun to realise that there's a difference between someone who just supplies energy and a company that actually generates it. So some do both, but some companies only do one. So some companies like SSE or Tricity, Electric Ireland or ESB, you know, they have wind farms, they have fossil fuel powered plants. They actually 
sell and generate electricity. They're making a little bit of money on that end. But the other ones like Panda Power, Pinergy, Flowgas, they just are really retailers. They just buy electricity on the wholesale market and sell it on. So they're only making money on the retail end and there's very little money to be made there at the moment. So absolutely, this does dispel the myth that all energy suppliers are absolutely, you know, making huge, huge profits. The money, Patricia, is being made in places like Norway, Saudi Arabia, the countries that actually own the gas, the coal and the oil. And also, unfortunately, Russia is making a lot of money as well. Um, we don't have a lot of gas. A lot of the energy companies here are making nearly as much money as people think. That's not to say that we shouldn't maybe look at putting a solidarity tax on some of the companies in the energy industry that are making a lot of money, but it's only going to raise maybe a, a few hundred million, maybe not even that at most. Okay, so what about this, this so-called windfall tax that we keep hearing be mentioned? Yeah, well, that's going to be done at an EU level. But by the time that trickles down to us, we're, you're probably looking at maybe a few hundred million euro. Now, that might sound like a huge amount of money, but just to put things into perspective, since the start of last year, Patricia, the price of gas and electricity, or the average household bill, has gone up by around 2,200 euro. Now, obviously, for some people, it's more. For some people, it's less. But that's what it's gone up by. There's around two and a half million households in the country. So if they were all to be shielded, so if we were to find two and a half thousand or 2,200 euro for all of those 2.5 million households, you'd need around 5 billion euro. Now, the level of corporation tax that was taken in the first half of this year from every single company, so every single company in the country, if they gave all of their corporation tax, uh, you'd still have only around 5 billion euro. So that kind of shows you how unrealistic it is to think that a windfall tax, at least in Ireland, is going to compensate for the increase in prices. Again, that's not to say that we shouldn't put maybe a solidarity tax on certain areas, but it needs to be realistic with people. It's not going to be the big revenue raiser that I think we think it's going to be because, as I said, the profits are really being made far further up the supply chain. Okay, see if you can offer advice for this listener. Uh, Hi, Patricia. I'm with Electric Ireland forever. I feel reluctant to change, even though I know there are savings to be made. But I have an easy pay card, which means I can put money against my bill every week. As a result, I've never had a bill. I'm always in uh, credit. Uh, Does any other electric company offer this easy pay card service? Would Dara know? It sounds like she's maybe on, on prepay. I'm actually not sure, Patricia. No, um, I think it's a card that you go in and you just pay off your bill. It's something that Electric okay, Ireland yeah. has. I think some other suppliers might offer it as well. Maybe Board Gosh Energy. I actually don't know, to be honest. Okay. I would say, though, I, I know sometimes people like the convenience. But um, if you haven't switched in a long time, you're probably overpaying for your gas and electricity. And you can always switch back as well. So if somebody has some type of sympathy or loyalty towards Electric Ireland you can you can switch back to them in 12 months time. Somebody yesterday suggested ringing Electric Ireland and looking for a loyalty discount. Does that happen? Yeah you can. I mean we'd always say to people you can either switch or you can try and negotiate a better deal. Usually the deals for people who try to negotiate aren't quite so good as the new customer deals but certainly if you don't want to move and if you've been with the supplier for a long period of time of course ring and ask if you can get some type of discount. Okay, someone wants to know what is Dara's view on a cap on electricity prices similar to what they're doing in the UK, good or a bad move? It is not really a cap, it's more subsidies. So it's kind of quite complicated. We don't own much gas, Patricia, and we know we own no coal and no oil. 
that we import the vast majority of our energy and you cannot cap something that you do not own. It's like me saying, I think the price of the new iPhone is absolutely ridiculous. I think we should put a cap on it. It's made in California and assembled in China. You know, Ireland has no control over what a foreign company is going to price a product. And unfortunately, it's the same with gas and electricity. So when you try to put a cap on something, really, you're just putting a subsidy. So you're saying that you're going to subsidize the price that something needs to be bought at versus what it's being sold at. So what they're doing in the UK is they have put a cap. It's 2,500 uh, pounds, sterling, yeah. which is around 3,000 euro um, for two years. But it's going to cost the Brits around maybe a hundred billion pounds sterling. And if we were to do something similar here, it could be anywhere from maybe five to ten billion euro, but it would also be an open check because you don't know yeah. how high that price is going to That's go. The, one, that. the, the more I look into the price cap, it's like writing a blank check for, the, en- for the energy providers. It, it, it is. Yeah. I think when people think of a price cap, they think that they found a way to cap the price of something on the market. They haven't. France introduced the price cap, but again, it was really just a subsidy. And in all cases, the price cap has been introduced. It's really just the taxpayer that's picking up the tab because it's the Norwegians that sell the gas, it's the Saudi Arabians, it's the Russians. We don't own it. We can't control it. Yeah. So when you hear of a price cap, it is literally the government saying, we're going to subsidise um, the, 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 the price. And I, I guess why... the the Brits have done it but it is going to be hugely expensive and even some economists for example Deutsche Bank actually came out and said that they think that there could be a collapse in the value of sterling and a run on sterling potentially as a result of this measure and then the central bank in the UK came out and said that it would actually lead to an even further increase in interest rates so I think the consequences of that cap and the cost of it may only become a little bit clearer over time but um, because, the, I mean Liz Truss when she announced it admitted that they're going to have to borrow and borrow heavily for yes. it you know yeah. what I mean so yeah and Britain is quite it was heavily indebted now it's a big country in some ways that can afford it but you always wonder with the bond market turn on it if they think that the country is over indebted which is of course what happened to us during the banking bailout and then the IMF came in we're a small country and of course you know, we're not going to collapse the value of the euro because it's, it's, it's shared by other countries. But the bond markets, if they saw us borrowing 10 or 12 billion to try to put a cap on the price of a good or service, might start then charging us way more to yeah. borrow money. And it could all become very, very messy very, very quickly. OK, with so much kite flying in the budget and so much speculation as to what's going to be contained in the budget, lots of talks about these three 200 euro electricity mm. credit for households. Uh, will it be enough? Probably not, but I think it is welcome. Um, I was afraid the government maybe going to do another €200 Euro credit, which wouldn't have been enough. I think the government strategy at the moment, which is probably the safest strategy, is to just give it, keep giving €200 Euro credits. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns into an €800 Euro credit and people keep getting another €200 Euro off every bill until prices ease back a little bit, at least during the winter period when prices are so high. So it's not a bad idea. Sinn Féin has an idea around tapping prices on electricity for several months. That's not necessarily the worst of idea as well. As well, I mean, They're not that different. It's just how the money gets back into people's pockets. Um, the fundamental issue of 
energy prices isn't, hasn't changed. No one has found a magical way to cap prices yet, although the EU is working on measures that hopefully might have um, might have a good impact. But I, it, it won't be enough, Patricia, I don't think. I mean, people okay. are still going to be hit. But it's, it's definitely welcome. It's something. OK, and Brian wants to know, are there actual savings to be made by switching the fact that all of the companies are putting up their prices anyway? No, there is, because if you switch, you're getting a discount of maybe anywhere from 20 to 40%. So that discount is going to hold. So yes, prices might be going up, but you'll be paying less than you otherwise would have. So it absolutely still pays to switch. Okay, and and bonkers.ie, your website, make it extremely easy. I have to say I changed last year by using bonkers.ie. And and you would say change every year. Make a note of when you've when you switched and do it do it every year. Do it, do it every year, and do it with other things as well. As I always say, the obsession that we have in this country with knowing the price of petrol and diesel and switching car insurance needs to be brought to other products. So um, you know your your house insurance, your mortgage, the broadband, the mobile. Just look at all those bills and see if there's places where you can save a little bit of money. Because if inflation is running at maybe 8 or 9%, unless you're getting a wage increase, a generous wage increase of 8, 9, 10%, your standard of living is going to severely reduce this year. And the only way to put a bit of money back into your pocket is by reducing your outgoings or by saving on your bills. Okay. So um, just, you know, just, just check it out. And then check the SEAI website as well and also bonkers.ie for tips and tricks around how to save a little bit on energy usage. I know sometimes people roll their eyes when you give them. And, <laughs> you know, we've probably all heard them before, so I won't repeat them. But just you know, have a look and there might be a few things that maybe you don't you know, remember or know about. Yeah, As your mother told you, make sure the immersion is off. <laughs> Listen, Dara, pleasure as always. Thank you You're for welcome, that. Patricia. And And I know we'll, be, we'll speak again. That is uh, Dara Cassidy, bonkers.ie. Uh, and actually, interesting there when Dara mentioned SEAI because I did a Google search on S-E-A-I, that's um, the uh, energy efficiency, um, sustainable energy Ireland group, because there was a text in from a listener saying, Patricia, I'm in my mid 60s, living alone, my own well, my own septic tank. I haven't been able to fill my oil tank for over two years. And in winter, I just keep one room warm. I go to bed early if I need to while watching the TV. I'm thinking of getting going off grid, getting solar panels um, or a generator or maybe a a wind turbine as I live in a rather windy area. But I've no idea where to go, who to talk about, if you any advice. What what I would suggest is this contacting SEAI the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland now they do have a lot of grants home energy grants uh, but the thing with the the home energy grants you have to have money to put to the grants I mean there's some uh, fully funded grants but they're more to do with uh, insulation for certain category of people and and heating systems but I certainly would suggest contacting them SEAI.ie they take a look at their website or contact them through their website and just see if they could suggest anything for you there may be some grants that you would be entitled uh, to but it certainly is uh, worth chatting Uh, and in the meantime we'll put it out there to see somebody who wants to go completely off grid uh, where would you suggest this lady goes for further advice outside of the SEAI the only reason I thought of those was that they may be able to get you uh, some grants towards it if anybody can help please do you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. 
C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. And we're going to Bandon Guard the station for this week's Guard the Fire. I'm joined by Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Morgan. Good morning, Patricia. And um, we start this morning with a burglary, and this happened in the Bantry area. That's correct, Patricia. Yeah. Um, the Guardian Bantry are investigating this incident, which took place um, in the Lingarf Road area of Bantry on the night of Saturday, the 11th of September, into Sunday morning, the 12th of September. Now, the premises here was a commercial garage. And the time of this burglary is believed to be very close to midnight um, last Saturday night. Now, during the course of this burglary, the, the culprit or culprits forced entry uh, by opening a door of the premises. Um, and it is possible that someone might have heard something due to the, the door being forced. Um, and look, while there's no description at the moment available of any property that might have been taken, guarantee or appeal to anyone who was in and around the Bantry Town area um, approximately midnight last Saturday night. 11th of September, and it was in particular the west side of the town in the vicinity of Lingarf Road and have any information that would be of interest to invest in Gardaí to contact Bantry Gard Station. Yeah, and at that so, hour of the night, people may be going home after being socialising, after being out on a Saturday night, somebody may have spotted something. And that's correct, and this night in particular, Patricia, um, was west, so some of your listeners might have been dropping or collecting people and they might have noticed someone acting suspiciously in that area. Okay. Now moving to Lep, where there was another burglary. That's correct, yeah. This is the Guardian Skibreen are investigating this incident, um, which happened in the Clown area of Lep, um, where a house was broken into on the night of the 19th of August, which was a Friday night. Um, now this burglary took place between 9.30 on that night, you know, and before, up between the 19th and 2 a.m. on the 20th. Um, which was the Saturday morning, the early hours of Saturday morning. Now, this house was a private house and was unoccupied at the time of the burglary. And again, in this case, the burglary involved a door being forced and also a window being broken. So again, the culprit or culprits in this case spent a bit of time and would have created some noise during the break-in. So again, I suppose like in, just like the previous case, we were repeating to anyone of your listeners that might have been in the Lep area on Friday the 19th of August and not anything suspicious, or maybe on reflection, can recall anything that, that might be of benefit to the investing Gardaí, we would appreciate a call at Skibreen Garda Station. An unusual theft, a theft of a post box. This was in Kilnamartra. That's true. You know, maybe not you know, a series of the two previous instances I've outlined, but maybe one that your listeners might be um, in a position to help. The Gardaí McCroom are investigating the theft of black metal post box from um, the Dramonic area of Kilnamartra. And this occurred on Thursday last. Um, the 8th into the Friday morning the 9th um, and again so if any of your listeners notice someone you know, in that area or moving or transporting a black post box you know area, or indeed which is, might be more possible they were offered the sale of it or might be offered the sale of it in the coming days the Gardaí um would appreciate a call and the one I think any of us that have home heating oil the one we all fear would be the theft of your home heating oil and you have a report of one incident one instance, I suppose, and more advice, and I know you mentioned in your previous previous topic there, where look, it's something that's coming up more and more, the cost of fuel, and why we are investing one incident, which occurred on the 31st of August um, in Balavourney, 
Um, we're just reminding people to take precautions, I suppose, in relation to the storage of their fuel. And again, bearing in mind the current value, which has been highlighted in your programme and other programmes. And unfortunately, this makes it more of a target for criminals. Um, so I suppose our advice would be you know, to, to, in relation to your theft to keep it locked. You know, you know, it is worth investing in a good quality lock. You know, again, bear in mind the value you're protecting in your tank. Um, but this shouldn't be your only line of defence. I suppose we would also, of course, we've been interested in lighting. Um, you know, criminals use the cover of darkness, as we know, to carry out such thefts. So preventing um, this with a reliable lighting system would go a long way to, um, I suppose, dissuading would-be criminals from um, trying to steal your, your fuel. And the other thing is, you know, fuel or CCTV. I suppose at this stage we know a lot of houses do have CCTV, and we would just encourage people to make sure it um, covers your fuel tank for the positioning of your CCTV in your house if you have it. It would be something to consider. Um, I suppose just maybe lastly, I suppose the access control to your house, you know, I suppose ensure that your front gates or your side gates, if you have them, um, are closed and locked when not in use. You know, I suppose and make sure to factor in, you know, in the security of your fuel tank when you are considering or updating your home security, it's something even more um, important now, given the fact that the fuel is more of a target for criminals and probably as we enter the winter months, will continue to be so. Yeah, because it's such an expensive commodity. And uh, to finish with uh, Morgan, some uh, an RSA message for older pedestrians. That's correct. I, I suppose that we're, we're all aware now the evenings are getting darker and the weather is getting wetter. So just to remind people to factor these changes into their decisions when driving. And the RSA at the moment um, are promoting a message just for the safety um, um, of older pedestrians. You know, um, and they've outlined that, like, that older pedestrians that are more likely to be killed or seriously injured on the roads compared to other road users. That's part of their own data. Um, and the RSA are appealing to motorists to be aware you know, of older pedestrians who, who might be using footpaths or roads um, and so their message, which we are supporting, is that, you know, if we look out for each other, we keep each other safe. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. Good advice. mind when we're out the road. Good advice. Listen, Morgan, thank you for that um, and have a lovely week and thanks for joining us on the programme. You too. Uh, bye bye. That is Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan, based at Bandingar. This you're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some people reacting to the piece that we did with the National Youth Council saying 7 in 10 young people between 18 and 24 are seriously considering leaving this country because they think they'll enjoy a better quality of life uh, in another country. And then we had Dan join us, who's got two children, gone through secondary school, finished college in the last university with their degrees in the last couple of years. And while they have good jobs, they're still living at home because even though they're, you know, good jobs, they're earning enough, but not earning enough to either be able to rent a property, rent and then try and save to buy a house and even trying to buy properties themselves. And it's just he's fearful that they will do the very same thing. They'll come home one day and say, da, we're, we're heading away. And it's, you know, and no, no mother or father wants that. Well, Ger was on having listened to Dan and Ger says, I left this country in the 80s and I left for 20 years. I had a great time living abroad. If I was younger again, I'd be gone in the morning. Dan gave the impression that people are unhappy to leave, but many are happy to leave this country. In fairness, what Dan was talking about, there are people, and he did say that, there are people who choose to go and they go for experience and they go because they want to live in another country. But that's very different to what the National Youth Council are saying when they spoke to young people. Young people are saying, 
that they don't have a choice. A little bit like, Ger, I imagine back in the 80s when you emigrated, that would have been in the middle of a recession. You probably felt that you had no choice. Or maybe you were somebody who had always planned on emigrating. There will always be people like that. But in particular, what we're talking about and what Dan was summing up are his son and daughter don't want to leave. And certainly the National Youth Council were saying the same thing with the people that they were talking to. The majority of them don't want to leave. They'd love to remain in this country. They'd love to buy a house and raise uh, a family. And they're, and they're two very distinct groups of people. Yes, there'll always be emigration and there'll always be people who want to live, but it's the people who are forced to. Jared uh, uh, thinks that the government are happy for the middle working class and younger people to leave as they would vote Sinn Féin next time round and they, they do not wish for that. Now, Jar, if you absolutely think that this is a deliberate ploy by the government to stop people voting for Sinn Féin. I don't know where you're coming from uh, with that one. And Morris then says, emigration has been the biggest byproduct of the Irish independence. 1916, this is Morris by email, 1916 was a disaster for the people of this country and we should stop listening to the dogma about a glorious revolution that was anything but. So are you saying that we would be better off today if we didn't get our independence and we were part, still part of the United Kingdom. Is that the point you're making, uh, Morris? I don't know how many people would agree with you on that, but thank you for your thoughts. 0818103103. That's some pet questions in on Liam and Balancolic. So it's listening to Dan speaking about emigration and house prices. One thing that Liam says I saw in France was the person that is selling the house decides at the time of the sale of the house the price he wants for that property and then you put the house up for sale at that price. When the price is matched by a future purchaser, the house must then be marked as sold and sold to that person so you don't have the bidding war that Dan spoke about. You know, somebody seeing a house on the market for 180000 think I can afford that and you go in all excited and then very quickly uh, the house has gone to 190000 200000 220000 and how many people has that happened to? I didn't realise that. Is that in law? That's a law obviously in France. I wasn't uh, aware of that. Thank you Liam in Balancolic for that information. Hi Patricia, regarding the lady who contacted you who's living on her own has her own well her own septic tank and would be really interested in living off the grid uh, she said in her text uh, getting solar panels a generator maybe getting a wind turbine as I live in a very windy area and was wondering where she would go for advice and I was saying sustainable energy Ireland might be able to point her in the right direction Anna says that she thinks there's a company or a group of people somewhere in and around Enniskeen that might be able to advise her on sustainable living. Uh, also, I, and Anna said that she also hopes to look into doing something like that in the near future and suggests maybe we could consider having somebody on the programme regarding the topic at that stage. Yeah, we might try and see if we can track somebody down. I'd love to hear from somebody who is living off the grid who could share with us how you go about living off the grid, how difficult, how hard is it. They, they, I, I know what the pluses would be, but are there any minuses? Anna also says there's a company in Ballangiri called Jay Moynihan energy who might be able to advise your listener as well and actually John Paul took a look at Jay Moynihan Energy and they seem to be the supplier of uh, solar panels there's lots of companies like that out and about but it's the cost factor that's why Sustainable Energy Ireland there are grants available but the problem is that the grants they don't you're not 100% funded it was like when we did our interview with the the gentleman Rory wasn't it who was on kidney home kidney dialysis and he was talking about his electricity costs and we had the Irish Kidney Association on and one of their pre-budget 
submissions asking the government to consider was that somebody on home dialysis would be given 100% grant funded to put in things like uh, solar panels. There's there's a cost involved. It's a fantastic idea, the thought of, you know, using all this sustainable uh, energy and using alternative energy. But it's if you don't have the money to put with the grant, you know, you can be doing all the wishes that you want, which is which is really, really uh, unfortunate. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 to 103 with 103 with a reminder to you that if you have a pet question, you need to get them into us, please. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. And we wish continue good luck to Pat Spratt and Father Eugene Baker. They are continuing with their Seven Peaks uh, challenge. They're on the second last day. They finish up tomorrow and they're doing it in aid of the community air ambulance. You can check them out through their GoFundMe page. The Network Ireland West Cork branch are holding an event called Be Smart With Your Money. It's on in the AIB in Bandon tonight at 7 and the event is free for members but for non-members there's a charge of €15. You can drop off used clothing, etc. at Gagan Hall this evening between 7 and 8 p.m. Men's, women's and children's clothes, please. They're taking bags, belts and shoes. Also sheets, duvet covers and towels and curtains. And they'll also accept good quality soft toys. Now they can't accept pillows, duvets or plastic uh, toys. Team Hope's Christmas shoebox appeal. They're about to launch nationwide. That's a little bit early, is it? Volunteers are needed to form a new team in Mallow to help check the donated gift-filled shoeboxes in one of the new checking centres that they're going to open in Mallow. If you'd like more information, you can check them out on teamhope.ie forward slash get involved. Our Teresa or Jonathan can help you out at their Dublin number 01 2940-2222. And a coffee morning and bookshare in aid of St. Michael's Centre in Bandon will be held tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And that'll be in St. Michael's Centre. And that's on South Main Street in Bandon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And on the, remember I mentioned the 200 euro electricity credit that the government gave us all back in, well, I'm, I'm going to say March, but it was various times uh, people got it off. It depended on, on the cycle of your bill. And there's talks that there's going to be three more of them. Uh, Sylvester said, I know this may sound like a stupid question. Sylvester, there's never a stupid question. But did all of the houses actually get 200 euro in credit from the government? Why do I ask? Well, when I checked my electricity bill, it wasn't 200 euro. It ended up coming out at 192 and 8 cent and that's with the VAT. I know it's ridiculous to ask but the, where did the 8 euros go? Because if you multiply the 8 euro by the number of houses that were entitled to get it that works out at a lot of uh, money and I'm wondering uh, did it happen to anybody else and Sylvester sent on a copy of his bill and it was on it. The government uh, 
Energy Credit was 17622 and we knew that was going to be less because there was VAT and then there was VAT at 9% on the 17692 and that came out at 1586. Anyway, he's added it all up and he reckons he's short by 8 euro. I remember when mine came in, it was actually just slightly over. At 200 euro, I think it was 200 euro and five cent or something. So I don't know. Did it vary from household to household? Keep a lookout when the next one comes uh, because we should be getting, we're going to have to wait for the announcement to come from the government. But it look, it's looking like there will be three 200 euro credits. And of course, they won't be the full 200 euro credits because it's the VAT as well. 0818 or 103 103. Now, Jim uh, was on to say, Hi, Patricia. So sorry to hear about that lady, Fanula, talking about our beautiful cat, Bella, who was so brutally killed. I remember a fellow, says Jim, that I worked with telling me a story of a fella that he worked with on a building site. And a bat came into the house where they were working on. He viciously killed the bat with a shovel. And my friend was horrified to watch what he was doing to such a defenceless little animal. It turned out after that that man went on to kill somebody. You'd be worried about the mentality, wouldn't you, of a person or persons that could kill that lady's cat and what they're capable of. Yeah, and I think that was one of the points that Fanula made and she wanted to warn other uh, pet owners as well and you know I said it when I was chatting with uh, Fanula if you can instill in young people a love of animals I think from a very early age I think the knock-on effect if you have a love of animals you'd like to think that if you wouldn't harm a defenceless animal you'd like to think that you wouldn't go on and harm another human being and I thank you for that uh, Jim and actually just talking of pets and pet stories there was something I came across during the week I didn't get a chance to mention it to do with a rescue dog that's been highlighted as a hero this rescue dog actually saved the family from a house fire it's a dog by the name of Wilbur it's a picture of Wilbur in the paper it was he's a one year old Rhodesian Ridge so he's a big dog and he was a former resident of Dogs Trust. Now, what happened was he was surrendered as a young puppy in December of 2021. It seems the original owner surrendered him bec- when they realised what type of a dog he, he was. They thought that they were getting a spaniel cross, um, but the Rhodesian Ridgebacks are obviously much larger dogs. This family realised quite early on that this dog was going to be too big. Then they had been promised that they were getting some kind of a spaniel cross, which would be a much smaller dog. So they did the right and they surrendered it to Dogs uh, Trust. Now, within a month, the following month in January, a family looked at Wilbur, said, yeah, we'll adopt Wilbur, took Wilbur home. And how pleased are Wilbur's family? Because the family that he moved in, in say, they heard what Wilbur is normally a very quiet dog. They heard him barking frantically and they knew something was wrong. And when they went in to check, they realised that Wilbur was raising the alarm. The house, they discovered very quickly that the house was being engulfed in flames they were able to quickly and safely all get out, uh, leaving the burning uh, property. So this dog managed to uh, save uh, him, which obviously um, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, by the way, were originally bred for their bravery and uh, to protect the family home. God, isn't that exactly uh, what Wilbur did? He lived up to his heroic heritage for sure. And this good news story, though, comes Kind of with a bit of a worry uh, because the numbers of dogs now that been uh, are being abandoned or surrendered has surged due to the end of the COVID-19 lockdowns. 
due to the curbs on remote working and obviously there's another cohort of people who are afraid about the rising uh, costs and will they be able to afford to keep their pets Listen to this from Dogs Trust. A pet, a, a pet is abandoned every 48 minutes on average in Ireland. Every 48 minutes. So more than once an hour a, a dog is being or a pet is being uh, abandoned. There's growing fears now of a record number of dogs that could end up being abandoned or surrendered over the coming uh, months. And to think of them abandoned, being you know put into the car and dropped off to another area, do- it's just uh, shocking. While now Dogs Trust say there has been a welcome increase in adoptions, not just a Dog Trust, but it, I believe at animal shelters all over the country, there is a concern now that the rate of abandonment will continue to rise as the inflation worsens and we head into a rather tough winter. The Irish Association for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, one of their officials said they're the ones who came out with this figure of one every 48 minutes being abandoned because obviously the ISPCA are the ones going out and picking up those abandoned uh, dogs. They also say 30 plus animals are dumped or surrendered to shelters every single day. Now a special adoption drive is now being run by the by the ISPCA um, in a bid to find homes for dogs who were brought during the COVID-19 lockdown but have now become unwanted. And that was always the fears of animal welfare groups. They always feared what would happen to the pets once the COVID pandemic uh, eased. Dogs became this huge, great attraction during lockdown. And a lot of people said, oh, we'll take on a dog and it'll be great. It'll get us out walking and we'll have the time to bond uh, with the dog. But suddenly now the remote working is over or it's been curtailed. And in some households, basically, the dog becomes... um, Uh, basically surplus to to requirements for some people which is horrible to think that just because you no longer need this dog either for company or to take out for walks well I no longer need it so I'm either going to surrender it or I'm going to uh, abandon it I mean I do really feel for owners who really do want to keep their dog but they're struggling Uh, they're struggling because they're back in the office or you know they're, they're struggling because they simply can't afford to cover uh, the cost. There is also the old chestnut where a person gets a gorgeous little puppy and then he isn't prepared because that gorgeous little puppy suddenly turns up into becoming a very large adult uh, dog and, you know, it's not going to stay a puppy for uh, ever. Then, of course, you know, people who are in rented accommodation and have to move to a new rented accommodation and maybe the new accommodation isn't suitable for an adult dog or maybe it's the case that the new landlord won't allow you to take a dog they're kind of heartbreaking um, situations where the pet then has to be and in those cases they'll always be surrendered to a local rescue. And the ISPCA, they say that their UK counterpart, which is the RSPCA, were warning last month that they are drowning is the word that's used in the UK with abandoned pets. They say four in five dog owners in the UK are worried about cost of living increases and how it will affect the care of their pets. It's not just the food, it's the grooming, it's the veterinary costs. And in the UK, they are, if they haven't, they're about to head into a recession. Cost of living crisis is happening as much there as it's happening there. So they're worried about the cost of looking after uh, the animals. And then the very sad figure of 165 dogs were euthanized 
in Irish pounds uh, last uh, year. Uh, but wasn't that a fantastic story about Wil- Wilbur, one rescued animal, and by the love that the family have shown to that dog, Wilbur. Wilbur has obviously gone on to save everybody because they got everybody out of that burning building. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 08. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And can I give a mention to this just for fear that I might forget it tomorrow? Uh, somebody sent in a, in a text saying, Patricia, would you play a request for Ronan Sheen? Ronan, who we spoke with yesterday, who's being ordained on Sunday. May he receive an abundance of blessings for his ordination with love and prayers. And that's from his auntie Imelda. Thank you for that, uh, Imelda. And no doubt, hopefully, you heard uh, Ronan. Um, Reverend Ronan Sheen, who will become Father Ronan Sheen from Sunday. He chatted with us yesterday and we, we had a delightful chat with him. And for anybody that missed it, by the way, you can get it on, it's gone up as a podcast on um, wherever you get your podcasts from or on our website at c103.ie. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. And I want to go straight into an email, which is is interesting because it's to do with a rescue dog. And I was just talking about the rescue dog who managed to save their family's life. It was a Rhodesian Ridgeback that somebody had bought and was led to believe that it was a it was a cocker spaniel cross. And of course, when they realised how big this dog was, they surrendered it to Dogs Trust. Within a month, the dog got uh, adopted early in, in actually in January of this year. And the owners were saying that they heard what is normally a quiet dog frantically barking and they realised something was wrong. And when they went in, seeming the house was was going up in flames. So a rescue dog has managed to rescue the family that he rescued. Oh, that's incredible. An incredible story. And I suppose it just it shows the power of like how, how quickly and um, dogs can reattach to a new family and really appreciate their new surroundings. So it's it's really, really lovely story, that one. Yeah. And a dog can pick up on smells, of course, as well, way quicker than we will. He obviously sensed the Absolutely. smoke before the family did. OK, so that leads mm-hmm. me to to an email that's come in about a rescued animal. Hi, Patricia and Jane. We adopted a rescue dog just on Monday of this week. It's a little uh, Shih Tzu and Bulldog mix, one-year-old. He said a very tough time of it, though, through no fault of his own. He was a COVID dog passed from house to house, resulting in him having had five homes in his little short life. We realised he must be very confused and very insecure, so now we're ready to give him lots of TLC. He's very good considering and he is extremely good indoors. Our concern is whenever we leave him out in the garden, he appears to get quite aggressive and starts biting and jumping up on us. Do you think this is an insecurity thing? Any suggestions, please? Thanking you for all your great advice every week. We have no other dog, by the way, at the moment, says Stephanie. What advice would you have for Stephanie? Okay, this is a really interesting one and quite an unusual pattern of behaviour. So if the pet is really, really quite secure and happy with the family inside the house, but that 100% changes when you go outside, it could be anxiety. It could be that they've got used of the indoor surroundings and feel quite secure there, but 
outside, it's a little bit more unpredictable. The weather changes. There is different smells, different sounds. So I suppose kind of sensory inputs are a little bit less predictable than inside. So it may be that that makes him feel a lot less secure. It may be that he just doesn't recognize the surroundings of the garden yet as his home. And he becomes quite fearful and that manifests as kind of jumping up and, and some aggression. I think whatever the trigger is, safety first. So make sure you keep you and your family safe just whilst your pet adjusts. It may be something that settles down in its own time. They've Your pet has only been there for a few days now, so it's only early days yet. And it sounds like you're doing a really good and considerate job with, with getting them used to things. What I will say is because there is an element of kind of jumping up aggression involved, I would be best at this stage, if it's not something that settles down in the next day or two, it may be worth discussing with your vet who they would recommend as a, a trained and qualified veterinary behaviourist. So somebody that could come in and take a little look at your new dog's behavior in the outside environment and contrast that with how they feel inside the house. It may be that in the situation, a trained qualified behaviorist may be able to pick up on what the trigger is for them so that they can give you, I suppose, uh, strategies for how to manage that and to keep everyone safe whilst your dog adjusts and kind of gains some new and safer behaviors. It is a a slightly unusual situation that your pet is really really good inside and as soon as we go outside the situation changes entirely so I suspect it may be some trigger outside that's really putting them off or just that things are a little bit more unpredictable so the other thing is it could be that they're really excited when they get outside as a certain element of freedom there and they might just get a big hit of adrenaline and they have to get that out by kind of jumping up and whizzing around and maybe even aggression that said, it's not appropriate and I suppose it's, it's not safe for everybody who's around them. So we just need to be able to try and teach him better ways of channeling that energy if it is energy and better ways of managing his anxiety and helping him out with that if it is anxiety. So I think this is one where I would say getting a behaviourist involved early on for everyone's safety and just to smooth the transition might be the way to go. So speak to your vet, they'll know who to use locally, who's appropriately qualified and experienced. But you're doing a great thing, Stephanie. Well done. Yeah, well done. Brilliant. Lots of TLC, lots of it. OK, um, Anne wants to know, is there ever a cheap time to get dogs neutered? She's in a position that she's a female pup, uh, needs spaying, uh, but can't, not in a position uh, to pay a local vet. Is it the dogs trust do those vouchers every now and again, isn't it? Every every now and again, it seems to be very regional. To be honest, in, our, in in at least my local area, there hasn't been kind of charity vouchers in that in that way from Dogs Trust or otherwise for for donkeys years. Um, to be honest, it's not something I'm aware of. Now, it may be as as it can be quite regional and area specific. It would be worth asking your local vet if any charity schemes exist local to you in your local area, but it is something that's not widely available. What I will say is it's really the right choice to get your pet spayed. Similarly for, for male dogs to get them neutered. We want to kind of control the dog population in the country. And obviously for ladies, it comes with a number of benefits spaying. So, we, you know, they won't have litters of puppies adding to the dog population in the country. But it also prevents some serious diseases later in life, such as kind of very serious and sometimes fatal infections of the womb called a pyometra. So that can be really helpful. What I will say is that it is important to plan for that when you are getting a new dog. So um, I suppose for, for our listener in particular, have a chat to your vet and see at what age to, to neuter your pet, depending on their breed and size. And if there are any vouchers available in the local area. And if not, you know, at what point you may be able to go ahead with it financially to go ahead 
what I will say is if you're about to embark on getting a new pup, if, if the listeners out there are thinking about taking on a new dog and are not in a situation where they have one just yet, it's just really important to think ahead to the kind of expected costs of the pet. So the annual health care, so vaccinations to keep them healthy from preventable serious disease and neutering to ensure that their health going forward is good and preventing the population exploding like obviously unfortunately due to the unpredictability of life financial situations can change and that that's of course really understandable but when you take on a pet there are a certain amount of expected costs so it's it's best to try and budget for that if you can okay hi uh question please for jane i want to spray peppermint oil on my door frames and windows it prevents spiders getting into the house but we have two wild cats that come to us for food now I know I'm led to believe that peppermint is poisonous for cats the cats don't come inside uh, so if I spray the peppermint oil just on the inside frames of the doors and windows would that be okay thanking you um, to be honest with you, this is not something I'm overly familiar with. Peppermint oil is not something I've encountered um, myself, so I wouldn't be able to give kind of a definitive a definitive answer on its toxicity or not. And I'd hate to lead our lovely listener astray. I can do a little bit of research on it and maybe come back, back to next, next week, week if yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I, I didn't, um, didn't realise this, this, this listener led to believe that it is poisonous. I didn't, and mm. I know some of the essential oils are. You do have to be careful. It can be. Yeah, so we, we, yeah. we'll look into that and we'll come back to you on that one. Okay, Donal in Cove, Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, uh, Donald describes it as a tight-haired terrier but is shedding a lot. I'm cleaning up after her all the time. There seems to be hairs all over the house. Lovely dog. I have asked my vet before and the vet's advice is it's nothing to worry about but we can't keep dealing with all these hairs. Uh, The the dog Daisy is a five-year-old neutered female. Any advice to stop a Jack Russell from shedding? And is this the time of the year for shedding more than any other time of the year? It can be. So kind of the hair growth cycle is continuously ongoing. But as the seasons change, sometimes we see the hair turnover and shedding increase a little bit. Um, If you've been to your vet, that's the brilliant first step. Well done for that, because I think we always want to rule out worrisome causes of hair loss. So sometimes that can be as a result of itching or scratching that the hair is physically falling out through trauma. Um, Or sometimes it can be some hormonal diseases. But if you've been to your vet already, they've said nothing to worry about, then that's brilliant. We've worried out, ruled out the worrisome cause. In that situation, what I'd say is my number one top tip would be get your dog professionally groomed. It's not going to 100% cut down on the shedding that happens around your house because obviously every day you or I are losing hair. It's the same same with our pet. But sometimes some of the hair that's you know on the verge of falling out and is then scattering all over the house. If you take your pet to a professional groomer, a lot of the time they'll give them a really, really good wash and a really, really good brush down. And that will take out a lot of the molting hair. Not 100% of it, but it will certainly help to reduce down things a little bit. So a professional groom is what I would go for. And to do that regularly sometimes keeps things under control. And if you groomed yourself every day, would that help? Give them a good old brush. It could and, do. Yeah. Yeah, good, yeah. Old, good old brush will certainly help. It yeah. may not be quite the same as a professional groom because you're not getting in there with a, a good scrub of a wash and 
sometimes the, the hair dryers particularly that we use um, with long coated, medium coated and short coated braids. Sometimes they, they have a, a function in them. It's almost like a little blaster function. They're like strong hair dryers that are really quite comfortable for the pet, but sometimes it can loosen out some of the more stubborn hairs. Okay. So that may help a little, but certainly brushing at your, yourself at will home help. will help yeah, too. Will help. So, Mary yeah. in Glamworth has a Cocker Spaniel who is eating lots of the low hanging blackberries when they're out for a walk. Is that okay? Or is she lacking in something, Mary wonders? Mm, okay, so I would think your dog is most likely not lacking in something. I think it's a really common thing when we see pets eating strange things. We wonder, oh, are they lacking in something? Are they engaging in a behavior that's the scientific term for it is pika? It's really, really uncommon in dogs and cats when they're fed a normal kind of balanced commercially available diet. It's really, really rare. Most of the time it's curiosity or they've got a taste for something. I expect the odd blackberry, one or two here and there, may not do them a huge amount of harm. That said, it's not a behaviour I would encourage. It's not something that normally forms part of a dog or cat's diet. Um, I do know, and similar to the peppermint oil, this is not something I've researched recently, but off the top of my head, I believe that there is one sugar compound in blackberries called xylitol in very, very, very low minuscule amounts. And that is something that is a toxic compound for dogs and cats. So I would expect that consuming any kind of considerable amount for a dog would not be a great idea. But again, that's something I'll have to dig a little bit deeper into. So dis- discourage, change your walk, move away I from areas do. where yeah. there's a lot of what. Yeah, because they, they'll go out of season and they'll be gone soon enough. But it's exactly. just yeah, it's just at exactly. the moment. And uh, Jackie in Tupac House. Hi, Jane. I want to adopt a retired greyhound. There is a charity that specifically adopts just greyhounds, but I can't find a number for them. I'm not online, so I'm not able to look it up on the Internet. Would Jane have any ideas of how to go about adopting a retired greyhound? Are you aware of that charity? Uh, I am, but the name, I must admit, Patricia, is eluding me just at this very moment. Okay, that's... What I will say, however, is that there are a number of charities out there, many of them which will have greyhounds. And I, I know certainly, I suppose, our national charity, the ISPCA, does a lot of really great work for all dog breeds. But I know that very frequently they may well have have greyhounds that come through their path. So they may be the initial people I would suggest contacting. Um, and in your contact with them, if it is a greyhound you're looking for specifically, they'll be able to direct you towards the charity, which I apologise, I can't just remember the name of right now off the top of my head. But it's a really, really great thing to do. I have a little retired greyhound myself, so they make the most fabulous little pets. So best of luck yeah, with that. I've, um, I've heard of that from more people who have adopted a greyhound. Uh, you never think that a greyhound's going to make. I have a niece who has a, a, a retired greyhound them beautiful beautiful dogs okay we leave it there yeah. Jane thank you for that have a lovely week and uh, we'll, we'll chat again uh, next uh, Thursday that's Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Witch for the afternoon talk to for today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.